Amen. Well, you guys have been in the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's where you're headed all semester. And so I am the next, I'm just doing the next passage in line. And so we're going to be talking about discernment of spirits, testing the spirits. So we're going to get into it tonight. Uh, and so, but really discernment is one of the words that we're going to look at. So before I turn you to your tables to talk a little bit about that, I want us just to talk about that word discernment. And what we're really wanting to get at, uh, I know you guys like to take notes, uh, but what we want to get at is what is spiritual discernment. And uh, Tony, I'm just going to tell you on my screen it has all the words, and there it has one word. I have no idea why that's the case. We'll see how that goes. It says spiritual discernment on mine. But, uh, but spiritual discernment is what we're going for. Uh, so let's talk about that word uh, discernment. Before we get to that, uh, we all know the word knowledge. Let's just look at some definitions. So this is, well, there it is right there. So uh, knowledge, okay? Here's the definition of knowledge. Facts or information and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. It's the theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. So you can have knowledge of a subject. Doesn't mean you've had anything more to do with it, no experience. You're not speaking from experience, but you can just study something and you can gain knowledge from it. Well, you also have heard of the word, of course, uh, that goes beyond that, wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the quality of having knowledge. So it's the next step after knowledge. It's the quality of having knowledge as well as experience, and then on top of that, an understanding. So not just I know the facts of this, but I now have, I have experience in what I know about, and I understand what it is that I know this about. So knowledge, and then it goes to wisdom. And then finally, it leads to discernment. And discernment is simply this. It's the ability to judge well. So you can have the knowledge, you can have the wisdom, and maybe you pray this. I pray this for my family all the time. Lord, give them, give each one of my kids wisdom and discernment, wisdom and discernment. I want them to have wisdom, so I want them to know things, but I want them to experience things, understand them, and then I want them to discern, to be able to judge well what they should do with the situation they're in, with the knowledge that they have, with the wisdom that they possess. So we're gonna talk about discernment, and in a little bit, we're gonna turn this, of course, to spiritual discernment. But I wanna go ahead and turn it to your tables, and I'm not looking for this to be a super spiritual answer. Just in general, maybe you can get vulnerable with each other, and I want you to do this. Share about a time you lacked discernment, okay? About, and this doesn't have to be a deep, dark secret, but just share about a time that you look back and go, I really lacked discernment in that. I did not judge that well. All right, I'm gonna give you some time to do that. Go for it. All right. Well, I hope you had some time around your table to be honest and vulnerable with each other about a time that you lacked discernment. Maybe at your table, nobody lacks it or ever has, uh, but most people have. You know, my father is the most, he's the wisest person I've ever met. My dad is, and I would, I would consider him to be just high in discernment. Uh, I listened to him just about everything. Now, when I was a kid especially, I thought he was the wisest and discerning. But I understand even from stories he tells me or thinking back, sometimes he missed it too. Uh, and he knows that I did. I, I was a student pastor before I came to Bellevue. Uh, and my first year of being student pastor, my family grew up going to the lake. And early on, when, like it was a rite of passage for me when I was 16 to be able to take our boat with friends to the lake an hour down the road. And I learned that early on and, and uh, had a good time. So when I became a student pastor, 
I decided that our middle school camp needed um, to be a little bit different. So we started doing um, a middle school camp to the lake. And we'd take a couple hundred middle school students, and we'd have 15 boats out there. I cannot believe parents let us take their kids to do that, but we did, and we had a great time. And that first year that we put all this together, um, I, we had a family in our church that had a great, nice boat, and they were going to be out of town. And uh, I asked them, would you mind if I pulled your boat and took it? And they said, yeah, no problem. It was great. It was a, it was a two-year-old boat. It was really nice. And um, I could tell you a story that would take an hour. But basically, we got back from the camp, worn out, and all I needed to do was return this boat to their barn. Um, and so we got all the kids where they needed to go. I took off uh, pulling this boat with my uh, 1999 Explorer and uh, pulled into this barn. And, and what it was was a split highway. Uh, and you went down a little hill on a gravel road. You went over some railroad tracks. And then you went to their gate. Unlock their gate, pull everything in, back it into the barn, and you're out of there. No problem. It's gotten dark. It's just me. My wife's already gone home. I have a cell phone. This is 1999, way before uh, smartphones. I have a cell phone that's dead, uh, and I'm in my swimsuit and flip-flops. And I get down to the bottom of that gravel road. I go to unlock the gate, the key that they've given me, and the key won't work. Like, man, what in the world? I'm just jiggling with it. I have no phone, no powder, no battery power left. It won't work. I'm trying it. Surely I'm just tired. Sure enough, it's just a completely different lock. Man. So I kind of assess the situation. I go, all right, I'm just going to back out. Now, if you've ever backed a trailer or backed a boat, a heavy boat, up a gravel driveway in your 1999 Explorer, it ain't, it ain't happening. If I tried, and I'm just, the wheels are just spinning and I'm, there's no way. And on top of that, I can't really get a running start because I'm backing it onto a, a four-lane highway, uh, a very four, highway 412. And so I'm in this predicament. What do I do? Does, can anybody guess what I did? I did not unhitch the boat because I couldn't. It's, it's one little lane of gravel. I couldn't unhitch the boat. This is what I did. I, assessed, I got out of my truck. I assessed the situation. And I said, all right, so I've got gravel right here. And I've got railroad tracks running perpendicular to that. I can make a wide turn. I can pull down these railroad tracks. I can back this way down the railroad tracks. And I can pull out and I can go up the gravel road. I can get up it. I just can't back up it because of can't get going fast enough. And I, I think, and I really did. I'm like, okay, I think this is safe. I, this is good. So sure enough, I did. And I... I made a wide turn as I could on that little one-lane gravel, and I, I was doing fine. And then I realized that it was just going to be a little bit, I couldn't turn wide enough to not hit the little ditch here with the boat, uh, the axle from the boat trailer. So I'm, I'm still kind of figuring it out. It kind of it dips a little bit, and I'm thinking, all right, I think I can put it in reverse and, and try to make it a little bit wider. Well, then, I think it's called, I'm not a huge car guy, but the transom, uh, I think that's in between the axle, in between the wheels, the transom got stuck on one of the rails of the railroad track. And so at this time, I'm like, okay, uh, here we go. And so I really did, no joke, I got out, and I literally just put, because I'm thinking it's metal from my, the transom of my truck on metal rail, so I just put my back into it, and I was able to rock my truck off of that rail because it was just right in the center was the problem. So I did that, and I get back in my truck and go, all right, I just want to go forward. Well, when I go forward, I go in the ditch with the boat axle. So now 
I'm on the railroad track. My borrowed boat that's just a year or two old is in a ditch. I have no phone, and I can't get, I, I can't do anything, and I panic. So I'm 20, at this point, I would have been 25 years old. Um, so I did what only I knew to do is I took off running. <laughs> I ran up that gravel road, and I, if any of you are familiar, this is in Jackson, Tennessee. That's where I lived. Um, in Jackson, Highway 412, and there's no, there's no houses right there. I know where the houses are about a mile away. I'm in flip-flops and a wet swimsuit, and I just take off running and just praying, Lord, Lord, oh my, Lord, please help me, please help me. And I go to the first house. They won't answer the door. They won't, they won't let me in because uh, I look like a maniac. And then uh, the second door I knock on, uh, a gentleman answers the door. He cracks the door, and I start talking as fast as I can. And this is what I'm trying to say. We've got to call somebody. A train is about to come and cream my truck in a borrowed boat. We've got to stop the train. So I'm trying to say that first. And he's going, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who are you? And I'm like, it doesn't matter who I am. I'm telling you. And it was a song thing. Well, he is a, he is a state trooper, and he's off duty. And, uh, he's, and he told me, he said, I just got off work. I won't help you, but you can use my phone. That's what he told me. I said, yes, sir. So I'm standing on his front porch in my flip-flops and wet swimsuit, and I call um, the police, and I say, we need to shut down this train track. And they, they think I'm crazy, man, but they're like, okay. I tell them where I am. Long story short, he lets me use the, his phone again, and I called my dad. My dad lived in Jackson. He lived about 10 minutes from where all this was taking place. I said, Dad, I don't need you to ask any questions. I need you to come with bolt cutters and a charged phone. And he said, okay. And so he got in the car, and uh, he, while he's doing that, this gentleman wouldn't give me a ride back, so I'm running back to my truck. I mean, it's, a, it's an awful thing. I'm telling you, it could be a movie. Uh, I'm running back to my truck. And about the time I get there, police cars, a couple of police cars show up, and they're like, we don't know what to tell you to do. We've called the railroad. They've shut down the railroad. Okay. So I'm not going to get hit, and my, the boat's not going to be destroyed. And my dad shows up and with bolt cutters so that we can cut the lock. But still, my truck's messed up, right? And the, and the boat's in the ditch. And uh, so sure enough, the police say, there's nothing. We're not here to help clean this up. This is not a wreck. This is private property, but we'll stay here, you know, uh, so this traffic wasn't by you up here. And so we did, we called two wreckers. The first wrecker said, you, we've got to get an 18-wheeler wrecker because we can't get down here. We're going to have to do it from the highway and wrap it around trees and yada, yada, yada. So we got two wreckers uh, that I'm so thankful my church, my boss ended up paying for uh, because he felt bad for me. Two wreckers, and we watched. My dad and I sat in his truck at the top of the hill and watched them maneuver it, pull the boat out of the ditch enough, pull it all the way up the highway with my truck still attached and everything. And um, come to find out is that the, these people had had, the end of that story was these people had had um, some work, some people that were buying dirt from their land. And so they had brought their dozers on and they'd put their own lock on there. And that's why I couldn't get in. Uh, and this is, I, I just, you can't make this up. The people, they were out of town. They were on a safari in Africa. And so I, I, I promise, we're there. My dad has the bolt cutters, and the police guy, the policeman says, what are you going to do with those? And I said, we're going to cut this lock. He said, you can't cut that lock. I said, we're here to turn the boat in. And he went, well, use the key. I said, what do you think I'm here for, you know? And he says, uh, you can't do that. And so in that very moment, I realized, oh, yeah, these people that are in safari in Africa, 
they have a sister that's in our church. So I called Miss Bonnie on the phone. I said, Miss Bonnie, will you be Miss Kitty for a second? Because Miss Kitty was the, Kitty and I forgot the man's name. So will you just be Miss Kitty for a second and tell these policemen it's okay if I cut this lock? And she said, yes. It's, it's midnight at this point. She says yes, and so we undo the lock and everything. Um, I, I have to also say this. This is the cool part about it. My dad's one of the wisest, most discerning people I know. We're sitting in that truck, and I'm embarrassed. I'm a 25-year-old adult man, embarrassed, because my dad's had to get out and do all this stuff. And I just, I'm just sitting there and said, Dad, I'm so dumb. I am so dumb. And this is what he did. And uh, he's, a, he's a grace-filled man, but, but still, this was, this was over the top. He looked right at me, and he said, hey, Jason, I see exactly what you were trying to do. I'd have tried the same thing. And I just, I burst into tears. I said, thank you, Dad. Thank you. He said, I see what you're trying to do. I'd have tried the same thing. With all that said, terrible discerning moment for me. Never should have put a truck. Don't ever try to turn around on railroad tracks. Uh, It shut down the railroad tracks for 48 hours because they have to come inspect uh, the rails. So um, it was a big deal. So uh, I didn't make it in the paper or anything, though. So um, anyway, I don't know if your story at your table was something like that. But that was a time for me that I lacked discernment, lacking discernment. Uh, I had the knowledge. I knew how to pull a boat. I knew how to back a trailer. I knew how to get out of tight spots. I had the knowledge. I even had wisdom. I had a lot of experience of doing, not putting a boat in a ditch. And by the way, the only thing that broke was the uh, little tail speedometer, speedometer on the bottom of the boat. I bought, that. I bought a new one for them for 30 bucks. It was sitting in their barn when they got back, and they never knew any different. So um, they did. I told them later, uh, a few years later, uh, for sure. So, but... I had the knowledge, I had the wisdom, but I lacked a lot of discernment in that moment. Instead of just stopping and figuring out what to do or getting help, having a community around me that could help me do something, uh, for sure. Now, so the definition of discernment we just talked about, but now let's talk about, if this will let me go to the next slide. There we go, maybe. So spiritual discernment, that's what we're talking about tonight. It's not just discernment, but spiritual discernment. What is it? Spiritual discernment is God God guiding an individual to help them arrive at the best decision. So discernment, your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom, all brought together. Spiritual discernment is something that you can't just manufacture on your own. It is based on your relationship with the Lord. And it's God guiding an individual to help them arrive at the best decision. So say all that to say, our passage tonight that we're going to look at is 1 John Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And in this, John is addressing, as y'all know this, I know you've looked at the book of 1 John for a while, but as a reminder, he's addressing believers. He's addressing believers in the context of churches. They're in churches, believing churches, all over the area where he is. So he's addressing believers for the most part, and he's addressing them as a community of believers in the church. And this is what he has to say to them. He says, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. We believers are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And again, talking about recognizing or testing the spirits, this is also all about discerning false teaching. What had become rampant in that area is that you had believers that were growing. We, we read of them serving. We see of them doing missions, all of these things. But as these body of believers have established churches, there's also other people who've broken off from there and started other churches. And along the way, they're not all believing the same thing. And they have great... Um, orators and great charismatic people that are leading these churches and they're beginning to teach things that are not from God and they are not they're not godly in any kind of way so John is addressing this with them to say hey be careful just because somebody stands up there and they have this reputation do you believe everything that they have to say test it discern spiritually discern what is right and what is good from the Lord there's I want us to look at three different things if we can. How do we identify false teaching, right? We see it, John gives it to us here in this passage, but how do we identify false teaching? The first thing is this. We ask, does the teaching glorify Jesus as the Son of God? Does the teaching glorify Jesus as the Son of God? So don't just think about what John was telling them. Think about this in your own life today. Is the teaching that you hear, does it glorify the Son of God? There's something that's really important when you listen to somebody teach. Are they teaching not just about Jesus as a good person? Are they teaching about him, his deity? 100% human, 100% divine. If he's 100% divine as well as 100% human, then they're talking about somebody that came from deity. They're talking about the Son of God. Compared to somebody who says he's a great man, he's done good things, but he's not unique or he's not divine. Now, we're going to talk in a little bit, after I throw it to you for a question here in a little bit, just about what does this look like for us today. But that's the first question you want to ask yourself. A podcast you're listening to, a sermon you're listening to, a teaching you're listening to, and a class that you're in, uh, something that you go to that's supposed to be pointing you towards something spiritual. Does the teaching glorify Jesus as the Son of God? There's a lot of teaching that's going on in the context where John is. And, and what started to pop out, you saw that word antichrist. That, this is where that comes from. And what does it mean? It just means that they're not talking about Christ. Antichrist is not Christ. So if they're teaching about somebody else being powerful or teaching about somebody else having what they need for life, and it's not Christ, then they're talking about the antichrist. So John introduces antichrist to them. The second thing that you want to do is you want to observe who celebrates the teaching. And this is true for you today. So you're going to ask, first of all, does the teaching glorify Jesus as the Son of God? And then next, who celebrates the teaching? One of the first places you want to start with this is, man, I heard this great message. Are believers talking about it? Are non-believers talking about it? Are people who know the Lord and walk with the Lord, are in Scripture and all these things, are they the ones talking about it? Or is it those that felt like it really, it really spoke to me, it really tickled my ears, or it made me feel better about myself? And it's a lot of non-believers are saying that. Now listen, we want the message to be heard by non-believers. 
But we don't want a non-believing message to be heard by non-believers. We want it to be a message based on glorifying, a message that glorifies the Son of God. So that's the second thing, is that we uh, observe who celebrates the teaching. And then finally this, when you're talking about false teaching and being able to uh, identify false teaching, is you want to dig in and find out where does it find a following. This is different than observing who celebrates the teaching, non-believers or believers. This is, does it find a following? Uh, and this is where I, we would just want to pull over and park. When we're talking about a teaching, there's so many good things that you can hear out there that you can listen to. Like I said, podcasts, everything else. It's so important that when we talk about hearing from the word of God and what it gives us for life, that we, we recognize the importance of that being in the context of the church. John is talking to the church here. And he is saying, you'll be able to test these things. When he says test the spirits, when he's... When in other translations, it talks about discerning the spirits. He is not talking to an individual. He's talking to the church. So he's talking to all of them. Test the spirits. So you need to dig in. Is this finding a following? If it's not finding a following in the church, then it's not, more than likely, it's not from the Lord. It is, it is an anti-message to the glorified Christ. So make sure that it is finding a following in the church. And this is where it's important to you as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, to find community within the church so that you can hear something and go, this is what I heard. I heard this teaching, and it really blessed me, or it really motivated me in this way. But you have a brother that you can go to, and you can say, this is what I got. And they have the opportunity to go, hey, that's not what that's talking about at all, or that's, that's anti the Lord right there. You can't, we can convince, I can convince myself a lot on my own that I'm right. I need people around me. I need a community around me that can say to me, let's dig into this together. So when we talk about discipleship here at Bellevue or in the church, when we talk about life groups, all that, it's not just to get people in seats. It's so that you have other people that can test the spirits with you. Now, we don't think we're putting you know, false teachers in front of you, but it's good for you to grow together. Compared to you going on your own, you hear this and go, ah, this is great. Probably some of you in this room have, have dug in. Somebody sent you something that then you, you saw this and you, you watched this sermon on YouTube and then, and then that YouTube suggested something else that you could listen to. And you're about three layers down now and you're listening to somebody and you're going, oh my goodness, this is great. And you have no idea that it's heresy because it's just a little step here, a little step here, a little step there. Now I'm not saying at all that the only place you ought to get your spiritual teaching is from within the walls of this church. But the importance of finding your, your spiritual nourishment and your teaching in the context of the body of believers uh, when it comes to teaching that you're hearing, not just scripture that you're reading on your own, but scripture or teaching that you're hearing, it's important to factor in the church. I want to encourage you in that. So I want to turn it back to your tables. You have these three questions. They're going to go away on the screen. But I want you to, this is John, we, we can really relate this to John especially, but I want you at your tables to talk about this. Uh, how can you identify false teaching in today's culture, right? John is, we'll talk about why, but John is a little bit more simple for him. But how do you identify false teaching in today's culture? Go ahead. All righty. We'll go ahead and move on. Sorry about that timer issue there. That's my fault. So let's talk, just let's, let's close this chapter, uh, this part of it as we talk about false teaching. Again, 
John's context was what, what they were dealing with specifically is the people there were beginning to not value the deity of Christ. They didn't believe that he was the son of God. They thought he was a good man. They thought they even attached some deity to him, but not that he was the son of God. And so that's what he focused on there is, hey, make sure that the teaching you're hearing is about a risen savior, about a son of God. But of course, today we have a lot of false teaching that includes that, that would say he's the son of God. Uh, There's popular religions, Mormons, for instance, would say that Jesus was man and God, uh, but they would not say that that was unique to him. So John didn't speak to that. He didn't say make sure that he only that Jesus is the only person talked about being the deity, being deity, and being the Son of God. But that wasn't that wasn't an issue for them. But so for us today, of course, that's something we would look at. Also, a lot of you have read stories of people. I remember a long time ago hearing about a guy who just, he owned a bunch of radio stations, and he was a believer, he said, and he went on and told everybody on the radio stations, hey, Jesus is coming back in September of 1994, and he said that for a year, and just over and over and over again, and for him, Jesus, he believed that Jesus was the son of God. Uh, He believed that he was the only uh, son of God, but yet... That was incredible false teaching, and that could be seen because he had no following in that. He had no real following. He had nobody else that was in agreement with him. Yes, we've done the research, or yes, we've gotten this vision as well, or anything like that. He was on his own, so he didn't have people that came alongside him in that. So what do we do today when we have all this teaching around us with a lot of people that would put Jesus on a pedestal, make him the son of God, everything else, what do we do? We have to go back to scripture. What does scripture say? What, what, what the scripture that the people, when first John is speaking to the people uh, there, the scripture they had, we have that scripture and more now to where we can read for ourselves and we can know what is true and what is false. We have the truth. So yes, we have scripture and we have doctrines that we hold to. And over the course of history, there have been new doctrinal statements, not, not that some that are true and some that, well, there are some that are not true, of course, but I'm saying you hear of the Nicene Creed, you hear of all these different places. We have, we have a statement of faith that we believe that comes from scripture. So for you, making sure that number one, um, that whatever you're hearing, you match it up with Scripture. Does this match up with Scripture? Does this line up with what Scripture has to say? And then another part of that is for all of us in this room, we have to make sure that we're equipped so that we know when we hear something that, yes, we want that spiritual discernment, but also we know, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. That's false. I'm going to look more in depth to that. So I would put in a plug for if you've never done anything with apologetics, learning how to defend your faith, do that so that when you can, then you can discern between false teaching and teaching that's coming uh, in the name of the Lord. So those are just some of the things that you can do to help identify uh, false teaching in today's culture and what you can do about it. And I just encourage you again that uh, it usually doesn't happen that you're going to be able to identify it pretty quickly when it's just off the rails from the beginning. It's, it's the little steps here and there, the before long. I have a, um, I won't tell you the full story, but I have a really, really good friend in high school that we were in high school together. We considered my best friends. We were college roommates for the first couple of years. 
Um, he went into ministry. Um, he got all the degrees. He was a professor at a Christian college, a wife, four kids. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding, the whole thing. And um, about, about seven years ago, uh, about five years ago, he, he put a manifesto out on Facebook. And, uh, and he and I talked probably, uh, he lived, he lives about 10 hours away. And, um, and so we would talk probably a few times a year, but if he would be in town seeing his family, I'd go up and my family would go up and we'd see his parents and everything. So we're pretty close still. About five years ago, he put a manifesto out on Facebook. And in that, he told the world that he's leaving his wife, um, that he had been cheating on her for a while and he didn't care, um, that he was leaving his faith completely. Um, that, and he had a lot to say about that, and basically just said, I just want the world to know I'm just going to live the way I want to live. And this is not a bum. This is a, this is a PhD, doctor, um, smartest guy I've ever met, all the things. And, uh, and so immediately, of course, I, I reached out to him. I was actually on vacation when I, uh, I, I'm not on social media, but I had a friend that was like, hey, you should check this out. So I immediately reached out to him. He wouldn't answer my calls, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's, it's cool. It's not even part of the story. It's not even part of the point for tonight. But he called me about three weeks ago. And he's like, hey, I'm going to be in town tomorrow. Do you want to do lunch? Uh, he's ignored me for five years. Uh, and I said, absolutely. I canceled everything I could and, and went and had lunch with him. And uh, it's no beautiful story. Um, he hates the Lord. Um, or really, he didn't even hate the Lord. He just, he's, do what you want. Um, but he's, his motto is this, I don't care. He's a business owner now, doing fine. He lives a mile from his uh, ex-wife and four kids. He has his four kids three nights a week. He thinks that's great. He's dating, yada, yada, yada. He's just telling me all about it, sitting at Huey's, just having a big time. And, and, uh, and we're close. We, we, uh, I mean, the first person I ever saw witness to somebody was him uh, when we were in high school. Leader in his youth group, leader at his school, tied in the football team. Everybody loved him, everything. And he, this is his life now. And he loves it. He loves it. My point in telling you is this. In all of his studies, I mean, he could read a book a night. If it took me six weeks to read it, he'd read it overnight. He loved information. He would, he would write thank you notes to the theologians that wrote the books that he read. Thank you, this is what I learned from you. They'd write them back, and they'd have conversations. He turned around five years ago, and he wrote every one of those theologians and said, you're wrong about everything. I mean, that's how deep into it he is. But it all started, it all started with a little bit off theology that he bought into, that he heard. And he thought, that feels pretty good. He told me this. These are his words, not mine. That feels pretty good. I'm going to look into this more. And he had nobody. He went to nobody. He hid it from people, and he just started. He didn't, it wasn't pornography for him. It was bad theology for him. And it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. So finally he went, this doesn't matter. I just don't care. That's an extreme example, but this is not an extreme guy. My encouragement to all of us is be, beware. And not only for you, but for the people around you. If you have, I met with our, I meet with our, I do discipleship with all of our, uh, our interns, our MAs, and we talked about this today, the importance of community, not just so you can feel good about each other, so you have accountability. We were talking about candor today, being candid with one another. He had nobody in his life that he allowed to be candid with him and go, hey, hold on, you are off track here. 
and he just dove in and, and now for him right now, I pray for him. Pastor's praying for him. Drew and David, I've told them and we're praying for him and other people. He's coming back to town the week before Easter. I'm not gonna tell you his name, but I'm just telling you, if you just pray, I'm just praying the Lord will break him in a lot of ways. But I want you to understand that for him, it all started with just a little bit off and a little bit off and a little bit more and a little bit more, and it took him down. And you have a lot of people in your family maybe or that you work with or in your neighborhood that are maybe dealing with the same kind of thing. So be able to identify false teaching and help people with that. Now, I wanna, I wanna turn the corner if I can here, and I want to, um, that's discerning the spirits. I wanted to take a little bit of time. Let's talk about discernment. And I just wanna help you Something that helped me a long time ago, right when I got into college, was discerning the will of God. And I think it all goes together when you think about teaching and what you listen to, uh, but also in your own life, how do you discern the will of God? And there was a, um, a study that came out called Experiencing God. And Henry Blackaby wrote it. Henry Blackaby died last week. And, and talk about right teaching. Henry Blackaby was, was that for me and millions of others uh, that have gone through that. Have any of you done Experiencing God before? Many of you. Um, I'm, I am a, a believer that he has communed with the Lord and taken, taken it to Scripture and has given us uh, some things to consider. So I just want to walk through these with you, and then I'm going to turn it to your tables as we finish up. But how do we um, discern the will of God? We're talking about discernment, again, spiritual discernment. How do we discern the will of God? There are seven tenets, seven steps, so to speak, that Blackaby talks about. So I'm giving him all the credit for all of these, but I just want you to see these, and then we're gonna let you discuss a couple of them around your table. But this is the first one, is that we recognize, and, and what's in italics are his words, but first we recognize that God is always at work around you. So I wanna discern the will of God. I worked with students for a long time. Their number one question is, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? What am I gonna do? When they get into like ninth grade, people start asking, what are you gonna do? I don't know. And then they start going, what is God's will for my life? So maybe for you, you're looking and go, what do you want me to do? What, Lord, what's your will for this situation? What's your will for my future? Uh, what, what is your will for my life? Number one, realize that God is always at work around you. God is not paused somewhere deciding, is he going to go work in this place? God is always at work around you. So that, again, you're going to see these first uh, five really focus on who God is. When we talk about God's will, is number, the first one there is God is always at work around you. The second one is this, know that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. You can't get past that. So we're gonna, we know God's at work, and that's not dependent on us at all. He just is. Also, understand he pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. It's not just God loves everyone. God loves you, and he desires a relationship with you specifically that is real and personal. I love that. I love those two words. So you're looking at what is God's will for my life. You have to remember God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. And then, next thing, you need to be encouraged that God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Discerning the will of God, what does that mean? Understand that there is a work that is going on. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you that is real and personal, and he invites you to become involved in that work. He's working, he loves you, come work. Come be a part of what he's doing. He invites us into that work with him. 
a real and personal God that wants to have a real and personal relationship with us. And then the fourth one is this. Be sure that God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. That's a long one. It's going to stay up there for a second. Be sure of this. So be, just know God speaks. I cannot tell you so many people go, I just want, I just want to know what does God want me to do? How, how do I hear from God? This, since I'm a freshman in college, I bet I've, I've given this to a thousand people and I've thought this many more times than not. God speaks to us through the Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church. And he doesn't just speak to us just to say hello. He does it to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. You wanna know what God's will is for your life. This is an important step. Through the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us. First of all, through scripture, we've already talked about that. Through prayer, and remember, your prayer is a lot more listening than talking. Circumstances, and you have to be careful because you can, you can assign everything to that, right? Well, it's, this is my circumstances. It must be the will of God. That, no, it's not just one of these. It's these things together. These are, there's gonna be unity in this. He speaks to the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. Now, I don't have to say to you, if you're not a part of a church that is preaching the word of God and is, and is helping you follow the will of God, then you should leave it. If you're here, then you're getting that. God is going to speak to you through his servants in a lot of different ways, whether that's Brother Steve from the pulpit or a life group teacher, a discipleship group a leader that you're part of, whatever. But God is going to speak to you through the Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church. Why? To reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Don't forget that. I want to encourage you. If some of you, you feel like you're stuck in a rut, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do, or I hate what I'm doing, or I hate who I am. I hate who I've become. This is not what God had for me. Go to this right here and just say, Lord, speak. Your servant's listening, Lord, speak, and I want to hear you, and I'm going to get in your word. I'm going to pray and listen. I'm going to, I'm going to recognize what you're doing around me, and I'm going to be a part of the church and believe that you're going to speak to me in the body of believers, and then he is. He's going to reveal himself to you. So we're going to pause, and uh, I want to pause on that one and give you another discussion question. We won't take the full five minutes, uh, but I want, you to, I, I want you to take that last one, and I can, I'll put it back up if you want me to. But how have you personally heard the Holy Spirit speak to you in your spiritual walk? So what are these areas where you go, you know what, the Lord really did. He reveals himself to me when I, when I read scripture. Or he reveals myself if I'm quiet and just listen to him. Or he reveals himself in my life group, in the context of the body of believers that I'm in. Whatever that is. So take a little bit of time at your table, uh, and then we're going to finish up with the last three, and we'll be out of here. All right, I'll interrupt you for now, and then I'm going to leave it with you after these next three, and you can talk all the more you want. Here are the four again before we go to the last three. I just want to make sure if you want to get these down or let's just be reminded. We, we want to discern the will of God. God's always at work around you. Remember that. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and personal. That's what makes him different than others, uh, than anybody else. God invites you to become involved with him in his work. This great work is happening he invites us to be part of it. He speaks to us through the Bible, the prayer, the circumstances, the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And then, next, 
God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. God's will for your life is going to bring you to the point where you have a choice to make. Do I really believe that this is what he can use me in? Do I really believe he's at work here and he's calling me to this? And you're going to have to take a step. It's not just there and just for you to receive. You have to take a step of faith and take action. So that's the next part. And so those are the five that really all center on who God is and what he is doing. But then uh, there's this piece. You have to accept that you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. You have to make major adjustments. So you get to this crisis of belief. You take that step of faith realizing this is going to be a change for you. That it's, you're going to have to make major adjustments in your life because you're no longer yourself. We read in the scripture that greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. We, we see that and that we have this power that he's given us that through the Holy Spirit. But we have to step out with that faith. Uh, we have to take that step of faith and then it's going to cause us to make major adjustments. And then the last piece to that is uh, this. You come to know God in his will. By experiences, you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. You come to know God by experiences, you obey him. Now listen, do not take that as your salvation is just through some experience. It is a, it's a revelation to you. Your salvation comes as you understand your need for a savior. You repent, you believe, uh, and then you receive him. But you come to know him. As you follow him, you come to know him by experience through obedience, that instant obedience that we talk about here. And then he accomplishes his work through you. This is what I've given you tonight. This is a taste. And I would encourage you. Some of you are just looking, Lord, I want to discern what your will is for my life. Lord, I want to discern what it is that you have for me. I hope that this is a little taste that you'll go and pick up experiencing God. Um, I'm not a salesman for them by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a, it's a great companion to your Bible uh, when it comes to knowing God's will for your life and what he's calling you to. So I would encourage you, if you've never been through it, take some time, go to our bookstore, get it on Amazon, something. This Experiencing God Bible Study, you spend 30, 45 minutes a day, um, five days a week for about eight weeks, and you learn more scripture. I took my son through this, um, as, as we talked about discernment, and as we talked about what's God's plan for his life. Um, and it doesn't lead you to, you're going to be a fireman. It's not that. It is it's grander than a vocation. It's purpose. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. So we've talked about discerning the spirits, how to identify false teaching, and discerning the will of God. I'm going to leave it with you tonight. I'm going to pray, and then I'm gonna, I'll put this last question up on the screen, or I'll put it up now. Uh, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to leave this question with you all. You can discuss it at your tables for as long as you want to. It's 7.30 now, so you got a little bit of time. Um, but from those seven statements, a lot of you took pictures or wrote them down. Uh, from those statements, uh, just the significance of one of those and how you've seen the Lord work in that way in your life. I want to pray for you. Um, thank you guys for being here tonight. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for these men. I pray for them. I lift them up to you. They lead people. They lead families. Um, they uh, have friends. They have neighbors. They have lost people around them. They have content coming at them all the time in so many different ways from podcast or from the radio or from YouTube or from 
this church or another church that they attend, Lord, all kinds of things that are coming at them. Lord, would they please uh, walk in a way that's, of course, worthy uh, of, of the, the calling you've placed on them, but also, Lord, would you just help them to learn uh, and to keep them equipped to be able to test the spirits alongside their brothers in this room and to be able to hear what your good and perfect will is and to walk in that. I pray for that for these men. Thank you for them. Uh, I do just pray for them and those that, that they surround and lead uh, that you would please uh, use them in a significant way. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.